With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Athletic. Teammates headbutting teammates, snow stopping play in April, a mark out moment at Forest Green, and Phil Brown getting dressed in the dark. All that equals a standard weekend in the EFL. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hey listener, I hope you're well. Maybe you're listening to us in the gym or even a beer garden. Try not to let the snow settle on your pint. If so, I'm Matt Davis-Adams, here to talk all things EFL in the company of Sam Parkin. Hello Matt, how you doing? Yeah, I am really well, thanks Sam. Uh, how about you, Adrian Clark? Yeah, I'm alright. I'm fine. Yeah, I, I would say you're, you're looking well, but I'm just, I just, I'm just not having this, this Alice band, I'm sorry. All right, I'm wearing now this band. We're going to be talking sartorial choices for for managers later. I think the Alice band looks good. Um, maybe we'll put it to a poll on Twitter, but um, probably not. Maybe I'll just move on swiftly. Uh, back for more, while she can still talk Watford on this podcast from the BBC, PLP, and other non-acronym-based broadcasters. It's KS, aka Kelly Summers. Hi, Kelly. Hello, Matt. You'll be pleased to know I'm actually a fan of the Alice band. Controversial, but I think it looks good. Okay, that's two votes for the Alice Band. More Alice Band news as we get it throughout the show. Uh, Now then, there are plenty of standout showings across the leagues this weekend, but whose was the best? Maybe this will help you decide. Performance of the weekend. Yes, it's time for each of us to use our allotted 15 seconds to persuade you, the listener, that our pick gave the performance of the week. Kelly, you've chosen Oxford, one of the many teams amongst the goals in the EFL this weekend. Your 15 seconds starts now. After losing four of their last five, including a torrid Easter, Oxford bounced back at Crewe. Six goals, six different scores, five of which came in 15 minutes either side of the break, giving them their biggest ever Football League away win. Effective in the press, clinical in front of goal and three points off the playoffs. Only a second or two over the 15 seconds. Not knocked off your stride by the standard Clarky doorbell. Uh, there's a lot <laughs> to like there. Good effort. Uh, Sam, you've chosen one of your old clubs. Exeter City, your 15 seconds starts now. Yeah, I think we've been guilty of writing off the Grecians too early. Thumped the league leaders on Saturday to get right back in the mix. Jack Sparks sparkled. Randall Williams showed his importance and Bowman notched his first in nine. And Matt Jay, well, he's unplayable right now. One point off the playoffs with a game in hand on most. Not bad. Yeah, like good, good amount of detail in there. Adrian, you've gone for Wigan Athletic. Your 15 seconds starts now. Yeah, Wigan kept their survival hopes alive by destroying Donny 4-1 in a row that began with a Dodu scorcher and ended with Will Keane getting the finish. His outstanding display deserved. In between, Solomon Otterbor scored for a picture-perfect passing move. This was their best performance of the season. Ooh, perfect timing and a bit of alliteration. Plenty to enjoy there. Right, I'll round things off. I've picked Oldham Athletic. My 15 seconds starts now. Another goal fest for the Latics, who followed up their four-goal haul at Crawley by going one better here, scoring with five of their 21 shots, including a brace for Davis Keller. Done always nice to get a Davis in there. They even scored from a free-kick routine described by their own website as comical. <laughs> timing. Uh, head to at the Totally Show on Twitter to vote. Let's championship. 
Championship headlines. Norwich didn't manage to confirm promotion this weekend, but need a maximum of just two points more to do so. The Canaries, like the rest of the top five, all won, as did Bournemouth, who move above Reading into the playoff places. Meanwhile, Birmingham were the big winners at the bottom, where defeats for Chef Wed and Wickham edged the pair nearer to League One. Derby are very close to being taken over by Eric Alonso, almost as close as they are to the relegation zone, or as they were to that last guy taking over banter. And Swansea and Birmingham are boycotting social media for a week to highlight the continued instances of abuse and discrimination on the platforms. Uh, so many massive games in the Champo this weekend pass. We could have chosen any, but we've decided to focus on the race for promotion. Thus, we start at Deepdale, where after four straight draws, Brentford hit five goals past Preston with five different scorers. Uh, Adrian, change of shape and, and a change of some personnel here for the Bees. Franking sense from, from Thomas to mix it up? <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, he shook it up, didn't he, tactically? It was, it was all change, really. 4-3-3 has been the B's way for so long now, um, but it was 3-1-4-2. So Ivan Tony had himself a partner in Marcus Force, who was, who was really good in the game. And I, I must admit, when I, when I saw Brentford in the, in the flesh not that long ago, Tony did look a little bit isolated, and I think that can happen. So so good idea. Uh, obviously bold, using Mbwemo as, as a wing-back as well. Norgard, normally a central midfielder, dropping in into centre-half. But it worked. And it was, it was interesting that Thomas Frank afterwards said, I really, really like the look of this team on paper, but I loved it even more when I saw it out on the grass. So so that was, you know, I'm not surprised after a 5-0 win. On the back of four straight draws, just what they needed. And, and look, if they, if they attack with that much swashbuckle in the weeks to come, they'll, they'll do okay. They'll, they'll make a strong case for, for winning the playoffs, which looked like being pretty, pretty competitive. Uh, yeah, we'll see if Kelly thinks they've got any chance of chasing down her Watford momentarily. First, though, Sam, I, I wanted uh, you this week to be the person to to lavish some praise on, on Ivan Tony, seeing as you were a striker too. Already five more goals this season in the champ than he managed in League One last season. Uh, we've been bigging him up, but I feel like we should be massiving him up. He's, he's always e- already equal Pookie's total of 29 goals from from two seasons ago. He's probably not going to break Guy Whittingham's record of 42, but it's absolutely phenomenal stuff. Yeah, I don't know what I can add to what we've already said, really. Um, he is quite old-fashioned in in a way, which I really like, because I, I was there last Tuesday against Birmingham and I keep a close eye on him. Every centre-half he plays against will have bruises and will have the memory of facing him the following day because... He leaves a bit on centre-halves. He waits till the referee's assistant or the referee's not watching. And I like that about him. And in the past, maybe his weakness has been his indiscipline. But I think this season, that's not been too much of a problem. And his football is just outstanding. Brilliant hold-up player. Can run, um, can head it, can score all different types of goals. And above anything else, and this is hand-in-hand with that, competitive edge is his mentality is ridiculously strong. I think he probably feels he's ready for the Premier League right now. And that's the the biggest compliment and his biggest strength, I would say. So it will happen. It will happen. Hopefully it will happen with Brentford. I'd love to see another one of my local clubs playing in the Premier League, especially. So I've got friends that work behind the scenes there. Um, stadium. It's all geared up to it. But yeah, he's been a phenomenal signing. And um, a brilliant win at the weekend. After that limp performance that I just 
spoke of against Birmingham, I didn't really see this coming. So well done, Thomas Frank, for showing real guts um, and authority, uh, I think, in doing in doing what Adrian's just described. Kelly, they're nine points behind your Watford, who are in second, and they've played a game more. They do host the Hornets in the in the penultimate game of the season. But but are we are we looking at it now in terms of keeping some form going into the playoffs? Because we saw what ended up happening to them last season when, when they kind of slid into the playoffs. This isn't just me being a pessimistic fan, which is kind of my nature in general when it comes to Watford. Um, but I don't think that race for second is over. When you look at the fixtures and the form that I, I was okay before with the fixtures because Brentford and Swansea even didn't have the form. Whereas all of a sudden they go and put in statement wins this weekend, admittedly Preston. Um, well, Preston did take points off Norwich and Swansea, let's not forget. But Swansea went away to Millwall having not scored in the four games that they lost in. So to score three away from home, all of a sudden those teams have got a bit of confidence. And when you look at the fixtures, Watford were 12 points clear um, on Friday night, then it got cut to nine points. Given the performances that both of those teams put in on Saturday, Swansea have played their game in hands on Tuesday night against Sheffield Wednesday. All of a sudden, that 12-point gap could be significantly cut. And when you look at the remaining fixtures, Swansea in particular are particularly kind. Brentford still have to play Bournemouth, and Bournemouth have found a bit of form. And they do still have to play Watford on the 1st of May. That's going to be huge. Final day as well, Watford have to play Swansea. So I don't think it's cut and dried with those games in hand. If Watford, Watford, of course, have the momentum with their 11 wins in 13, I think it is. But it's not cut and dried. Those games are going to be absolutely huge. Um, I'm confident, but I'm not. I woke up with a real spring in my step on Saturday and it was a bit more of um, a slow walk by Saturday <laughs> night, I think. Uh, let's get on to your Watford then. They, they beat Reading by two goals to nil back on Friday night. Is Mela Sarr the star again here um kelly it wasn't that long ago we had you on especially to, to talk about the prospect of munoz being sacked low building manager down. of the month i mean that kind you're of i mean it's, ever well quite rightly no but i mean you can console yourself with the fact that you're about to get promoted that that will surely make you feel better and this was a big win against one of those teams kind of trying to hang on to watford's coattail yeah, I'd like to preface this by saying I wasn't the only Watford fan saying that about Munoz at the time. And at that point, he wasn't getting the maximum out of these players. Fair play now, he does. He put us into the formation that works so, so well. We look so comfortable in that 4-3-3. We don't quite have the unpredictability of Brentford, but what we do have is a solid spine to that team. And we can change the odd player and it doesn't affect things too much. The fact that Trusta Kong and Syriata don't play every single game. They're our first choice back to, but we could bring in Craig Cathcart. The fact that we've had Dan Gosling's been out for a bit, Tom Cleverley's been out for a bit, Zinkenagel's all of a sudden come into that midfield three. So they found a way to win even when the players haven't been fit. But you're right, this on Friday was huge, given the fact that we were quite flat against Sheffield Wednesday and Middlesbrough, um, those two goals from Ishmael Asar. I saw someone tweet that that's what happens when you've got a player that costs as much as some clubs in the Championship are worth. Yes, of course it is. But that's the reason the hierarchy wanted to keep hold of him. Two brilliant goals. But what I really like is Reading did have plenty of chances and plenty of the ball, but I didn't ever really feel like we were going to lose. There's just a confidence bordering on arrogance, but in a good way, if you know what I mean, just a confidence in what the whole team is doing and where everyone is on the pitch. And I thought it was a masterstroke as well, bringing on Carlos Sanchez at half time because he really got a grip on things in midfield because at half time it was 2-0, but it was a chaotic 2-0. It was Sarri who got the goals here, Adrian, but but they're not a one-man team, are they, Watford? And and, and that's been been pivotal to their, their turnaround or their sustained success in, in recent weeks and months. 
Yeah, definitely. I just had to chuckle to myself there. Carlos Sanchez and Masterstroke using <laughs> the same, same sentence. <laughs> I, I just don't know if I've ever heard that. But, but Clarky, it's when we brought content. him in, I thought this is such a Watford signing where it's just, <laughs> he's going to come on for 10 minutes in one game and then we'll never see him again. But fair play, he was brilliant on Friday. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's about sort of strength as, as a team. I'm still not that sold on true Stikon as, as a, as a centre-half, really. But... The defensive record is is great. I think the team the team defend pretty well as one, really. They, they remind me a bit of West Bromwich Albion Watford, not in style necessarily. Oh, no, <laughs> when they went up last season, um, not brilliant in terms of form, not amazing, to, not not the perfect team by any stretch of the imagination. But they've got enough talent to get them through, and that's what West Brom had when they got automatic promotion. Uh, 12 months ago and and yeah I can I can see what look Ke- Kelly's worrying over nothing they're going up <laughs> what about uh, what about Reading Sam out of the playoff picture at the moment tricky running to Cardiff Luton Swansea Norwich amongst the teams that they've got to play what did you make of them here I thought they were very good in patches um, in the first half in particular the period before half time when they had three great chances had they scored then we could have been talking about a, a different outcome. Um, I love the performance of Elise and Ajaria again in particular. I thought they really stepped up on a big night in front of the national uh, audience in a game where they kind of had to take something. I thought they really produced those two. And I'll simplify it for you, Matt, right now, because I can't see too many problems defensively because Saar is Premier League quality. You give that ball away in those positions against the 90% of players, 90% of teams in the championship, they wouldn't punish you as Ismail Assar did on Friday. So you have to put that into account. They need to rediscover their finishing. I think it's that simple. And obviously he's got a little bit of a, a conundrum at the moment. I think Puskas has probably played himself out. Jao will come back in. It hinges on on Jao and, and Mate rediscovering what they were doing in the early part of the season. If they can do that, then they've got a hell of a chance still. But of course, the way that they're missing chances to the degree that they are away at Barnsley um, and again at, at Vicarage Road, they're going to be caught by Bournemouth and they're not going to be able to catch them. So that that's the big thing for me because yes, they're, they're a little bit down to the bare bones defensively, but I thought Holmes was excellent um, in the game and I don't want to slaughter Gibson at left back because he was up against the best wide right player by a country mile in the division. Right, so that is Bournemouth replacing Reading in the top six. Then this after the Cherries beat Coventry 4-1. Two goals in the first three minutes setting the tone for the afternoon here. Matty James cancelled out Danjuma's opener before the Cherries took control to move back into those playoff places. Uh, Kelly, we've already mentioned Saar and Tony, but Arno Danjuma surely in the running for for Championship Player of the Season 2. 13 goals and 7 assists in, in 28 games are good numbers. Yeah, I think consistency has been an issue with him, but he's certainly finding form now and regular. And he's, for me, obviously, Ishmael Asar, I'm going to say, is one of the best, most exciting players in the championship, but Arnott and June has got to be up there as well. And I thought he embodied everything that was so good about Bournemouth. For me, this is the Bournemouth that we all expected and hoped we'd see in the championship. The way they, yes, they took the early goal, the electric start. David Brooks is back at a crucial time as well. I think his run... um, driving run for the first goal inside the opening minute was brilliant. 
But Danjuma, Brooks, Solanke, even Stanislas, I think, is going to be back for the game this week. They've got all of the attacking players that should click but just haven't so far. And I just think Jonathan Woodgate has just taken it back to basics for them. And the way they moved through the gears against Coventry was really impressive, I thought. Um, and from what I hear, it's a very happy camp now as well. They like the formation. They like the training. Everything seems to be kind of clicking at just the right time for the Cherries. Definitely, I I loved uh, I loved how openly gutted Ben Pearson was that that his shot was deflected in by Solanke <laughs> towards the end of the game. He was, yes, his team had scored, but that, that didn't stop him uh, showing how, how how sad he was. Um, on on out down Juma, I had a bit too much time on my hands this morning. Actually, I didn't, but I, I sort of got a bit geeky and I looked at Bournemouth with and without him this season because he he's only made twenty four starts, so he's missed. A lot of football. Sometimes he's been subbed. Sometimes he's been injured. But they've averaged without him one point four three points per game. With him, they've averaged one point eight seven points per game. And where would one point eight seven points per game put them in the league? Two points above Brentford in third. Um, they would be pushing for automatic potentially had he had he played more often. Uh, Sam, I'll put this one to you. A tweet that's coming to us from Andy at The Totally Show if you want to get in touch. He asks, should Bournemouth fans want us to be promoted? Um, he doesn't want to be promoted. I'm assuming here that the point is you win a lot more games in the Championship than you do if you're at the bottom end of the Premier League, but also you get to be um, in the Premier League. He, sh- he should have a look at Adam Smith's interview, I think it was, um, from full time on Saturday, who said he absolutely despises playing in the championship <laughs> uh, because it's relentless. And I think more so that the, the 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 feeling of playing behind closed doors is just driving him up the wall, I think, at this stage, which it is all of us. But um, it was a really good interview, actually. But yeah, I think so. I think they'd, they'd want to go back there, uh, of, of course. I think they've got the... The foundation at the, the the football club to to probably go and strengthen and learn from the mistakes if they they feel that they made some ricks last season um, to to solve them really when they go back to the the top tier. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, they've finally found a formula, as the other guys were saying, which just makes them really formidable at this level. And it's taken pretty much the whole season for not just Jason Tindall, but now Jonathan Woodgate to stumble across it. But I think the the formula, the shape that they're playing with at the moment makes them really strong contenders to go up by the playoffs and doing it all without an out-and-out strike. I know we say this year after year, but I just think there's something in the championship when you've got an even spread of goals, when you've got loads of contributors, that seems to be the way to go about it. And Bournemouth have got four or five players who are contributing consistently so they're looking really strong right now in regards to that question Matt that was posed I actually saw that be posed on Twitter and I completely understand as a fan of Watford a team that's just been relegated I'm glad last you did Kelly hard at times <laughs> <laughs> it, last year was hard at times and this year yeah it's been so much more enjoyable winning games however I'm very aware that at the end of this season if Watford don't go up you get assets stripped all of your best players leave all there to come and to get the team back into the championship and for the financial stability and the future of the club unfortunately when you do get relegated from the Premier League there is a bit of a need to go straight back up to balance the books and things like that so I can completely see where that fan's coming from but I don't think next season will be as fun for the likes of Bournemouth or Watford if they don't go up because it won't be these same exciting players players that stayed for a year of trying to get back up your Dan Jumas and the like probably won't hang around for another year. 
Yeah, be careful what you wish for, Andy. Otherwise, you'll end up supporting a team who've been outside of the Premier League for 21 years and counting with absolutely <laughs> no sign of that changing anytime soon. Uh, as for Coventry, Ryan Conway pointed out last time he was on that, that people were sleeping on them as relegation contenders. Probably time to wake up. Place above the bottom three. Six points ahead of Rotherham, who have three games in hand on them. Uh, the pair meet on Thursday. That'll be just 48 hours after the Millers have played QPR. Clark, you can only you can only term that a six-pointer. <laughs> Feels like a nine-pointer, doesn't it? It's, it's absolutely massive. And it's come, in, it's come at a bad time for Coventry. They've got problems, haven't they, at the back? Injuries, illnesses. Um, I noticed Rose and Hyam were out of this game. One of their players got taken to hospital, which meant that a reserve had to come in, Jordan Thompson. So, yeah, really, really difficult into the season for for Coventry, but they've got they've just got to get on with it and and get over the line somehow. I also think they need to get Gus Hammer back into the team. Um, he was dropped, which I found really surprising, but he came off the bench and 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 looked okay by all accounts. So I, I expect him to stay in the side now. But yeah, Coventry against Rotherham, that's going to be. Tasty, isn't it? And Coventry just got to hope that Rotherham are, are absolutely knackered from Tuesday. Right, let's get some odds courtesy of Paddy Power here, represented by the multi-award winning producer, Abby, who's going to help us build a midweek ACA. Uh, Kelly, I, don't I believe... I think I've won any awards, but anyway. <laughs> well, you, you're nominated every 15 minutes. If yeah, you don't win one of them. them. <laughs> Something's going wrong. Um, Kelly, your pick for our ACA comes from the championship, I'm told. Yeah, I've got a little bit rogue with it, to be honest. But I think that Rotherham to beat QPR, just because I think Rotherham <laughs> have to beat QPR. <laughs> Don't laugh. Queen's Park Rangers fan Sam finds that so offensive that he's laughing sarcastically in a way that would make Jose Mourinho uh, This is no time to go rogue, Kelly. We need a win. <laughs> I don't think that's, I don't think that's an outrageous shout at all. I quite, I quite no, like that. It's, Abby, it's this what, time what? of the season, isn't it? Where teams with stuff to play for against teams that don't. And I just, I don't think the Rotherham, I mean, they haven't had great results, but I, I don't think they're awful. They're not great. But, oh, you're talking me out of it now. <laughs> no, no I'm not. I, I'm, I'm back. QPR have won the last two. That's, that's, a, that's a fine bet. It's very tight. Um, Rotherham are 13 to 8, but QPR are the very slight favourites at 8 to 5. Oh, with the draw coming in. I really in. thought I was picking something mad. <laughs> uh, with the draw coming in at 23 to 10, um, I thought I'd look at a quick look at the uh, the outrights just to, to ease Kelly's mind. Watford are very much more favourites than uh, Brentford to get promoted. They're oh. 1 to 12, Brentford 5 to 4. 1 to 12. Yeah, it's happening. You can stop worrying. All right, we'll carry on building that acre as we go. League One, stand by. At Paddy Power, we know there are plenty of risks in football. Parking the bus at 1 0, signing that promising youngster for 50 million, or predicting Pep's lineups for your fantasy team. But at Paddy Power, we don't want you to take unnecessary risks. So when you sign up for a new account, you'll get your first bet up to £10 risk-free. That's money back as cash if it loses. Paddy Power. New customers only. Deposit using cards or via Apple Pay. First bet on sportsbook markets only. Minimum deposit. Max refund £10. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. 
League One headlines, top two, Hull and Posh both won and extended their lead on the playoff pack, none of whom managed a victory. Charlton are just a point outside the top six after winning at Sunderland. At the bottom, Wimbledon climb out of the relegation zone after a thumping win at Accrington. And Ipswich have new owners, specifically the American Investment Fund, ORG. Uh, let's kick off our League One look back at the Stadium of Light, where Sunderland's defeat to Charlton means they're now five points off the automatic promotion places as their 14-game unbeaten run comes to an end. Uh, the Black Cats had the stats in their favour, except the important one, the scoreline. Sunderland podcaster Melissa Johnson from Wise Men say, looking at the positives, it's a punch in the stomach, but it isn't over, she says. Uh, Kelly, do you think that that's a, an accurate description? They've got some tough games coming up all the way. Wigan, who are revitalised, Blackpool and and then Hull. But, you know, they have just been on a 14-game unbeaten run, so... They had a lot of chances in this first half. Charlie White had two really good chances before a really clumsy own goal gave Charlton the lead. But they looked a little bit shaky at the back, and I kind of thought the same in the game against Peterborough. Um, on Easter Monday as well. They were kind of nearly undone by a couple of set pieces at the weekend as well. The defending for the second was awful as well. So I think there's a few question marks there. But as you've just said, they've been on a brilliant run. They're going to win more than they're going to lose. However, I think the fact they've got to play a very informed Blackpool twice, who arguably are the best team on current form in the division for me. And they've also got to play Hull away on Tuesday, the 20th of April. So there's a couple of really tasty looking fixtures in there. I think they'll be okay, but out of the top three pit, Peterborough, Hull and Sunderland, I think the Black Cats have actually got the hardest run in now. Yeah, and actually, Adrian, I was kind of minded to think, well, Sunderland usually do better against the better teams. But Kelly's mentioned that the Peterborough game, they, they couldn't get over the line in that one. And they've lost this to a, a fellow promotion chaser. So so maybe that's not correct. Yeah, no, it's you're going to lose your game here and there. And, and Charlton, they're one of the toughest teams to play at home. Notice Charlton have got 11 away wins this season. And and one standout feature of, of this particular win is that out of those 11 away wins, this is the first one Charlton have let a goal in. Amazing. They just keep winning to nil away from home. They're really solid under the previous manager, under Nigel Atkins as, as well, it seems. So, so it was never going to be a, an easy fixture. Sam touched on on the centre-halves a couple of weeks ago, when I, I, I sort of said that they were doing well considering they're such an unorthodox centre-back pairing. And Sam rightly said he wasn't sure if that was enough. Like, that's an area they can definitely strengthen. And it's interesting, they had a back three in this game with power, a midfielder, alongside Sanderson uh, and 9 So you've got two midfielders and, and a young rookie that, that often plays right back as your back three. And uh, I think when you're up against the likes of Jaden Stockley, you know, good, good player at this level, then it, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise if you get undone. Sam, we, we collectively and, and figuratively scratched our heads when, when Lee Bowyer left and Nigel Atkins came in at Charlton. A couple of weeks later, it actually looks like it's working out quite well for, for all parties. You did, Matt. I was, um, I was all right <laughs> with that. I thought Lee Bowyer had done his time. And um, I was just disappointed that uh, my friend hadn't been given the gig, but big fan of Nigel Adkins and all his walking. Let's not get away from that. Um, they've done brilliantly. And I spoke about it last week, the consistency in selection and tactics. You know, pick the same players if they're doing the business and um, simplify it. I think they're brilliant without the ball. 4-3-3 four, four, three, three with it, 4-2-3-1. And then they drop back the, the five-man midfield to make it really difficult for teams to break through them. And, and Adrian just spoke about 
Jaden Stockley, who, who's been excellent, I think, and in, in all departments. You think of Innes defensively, Gilby coming in, making forward runs, and Stockley winning absolutely everything in the last couple of games that I've seen, putting that seed of doubt in the mind of the defenders that he's up against. And then when that happens, he can start taking things on his chest, bringing people into play. And that's exactly what I've seen. It's kind of the old style centre-forward play that I was always taught dominate early on and then you can start linking it and people playing into your feet and that's exactly what Charlton are doing right now and, and Kelly's right though they they rode their luck a little bit in this game but they've got a a serial winner you'd have to say at league one level and they're looking like a really good bet for um the playoffs and just on Sunderland quickly they're done I think if they don't win at Wigan in terms of the championship I think you know it's eight points now so they have to they have to take maximum points in their game in hand if they've got any hopes, I think, of overturning. Probably Hull and, and Peterborough, to be frank. Uh, some big scores in League One this weekend. None bigger than at Gresty Road, where Oxford hit crew for six. Six different goal scorers here. Uh, Sam, Brandon Barker on loan from, from Rangers, the, the standout for Oxford, uh, you would say. Me and you saw a bit of him during his academy football days at, at Manchester City. He looks to me like the, the type of player who's, who's built for a, a Carl Robinson team. You know, Young so he can be moulded, but still key, tricky midfield player. Just looks like a good fit for Oxford. Yeah, de- definitely. Um, yeah, huge hand in. Was it James Henry's goal, I think, with a, the slaloming run and then a brilliant individual goal as well. And his performances have been really consistent as of late um, the game against Lincoln uh, live TV game he, d- he did very well as well I thought he was the pick on, on that night so yeah we spoke about how Carl Robinson um, likes to attack likes to outscore opposition and he's very much in that mould and yeah used to enjoy watching him for, for City uh, in the academy matches and yeah probably I think he's 23 24 now so so probably ready to um you know, join somewhere permanently and, and put down some roots and play some regular football. But yeah, really good victory for Oxford. Didn't see it coming, but um, prayed, I suppose, on uh, on Crew's inadequacies in terms of the way they tried to play out. And I think Carl Robinson emphasised that after the game that they got their, their closing down and their pressing bang on and uh, took advantage of some sloppy play from Crew. Yeah, Kelly, every week we have the, the debate about whether Oxford are going to make the, the playoffs or not. They're four points off at the moment. They've played it at least one game more than the teams currently in those playoff spots. But they've only got one top half team left to play in their running. So it is there for them, potentially. I kind of feel like this summed up just how crazy this division is. The fact that they could have had been on such a poor run and still be that close to the playoffs after this win. Yes, it was a brilliant win, but they're just so up and down. I think Carl Robinson said after the game, this is how good we can be when, as Sam alluded to, we get our press right and our attacking players do what they're supposed to do. As you just said there, Brandon Barker was magnificent. If they can keep these players fit and if they can perform more regularly, yes, I think they're in the mix. I think they'll fall short in the end, but when they're this good, it's hard to back against them really. What about Crew then, Adrian? Worst home defeat in almost half a century. Consistently inconsistent at the moment. Last seven matches, lost one, lost one, lost one, lost. That's the kind of thing that, that happens to a, a newly promoted team in their, in their first season in a higher division. Yeah, they've still got a lot of good young players. They still play play some nice football, but but they were, they were outgunned in this game. One shot on target, faced 11 shots on target. That's really bad and, and it's not a good reflection of their shape and their discipline. Just got overran, 
really. Uh, goalkeeper didn't have a good good day. Jasko Leinen. Um, and yet, when you've got a young team as well, sometimes when things go wrong, it can run away with you because you don't have that 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 experienced spine that just allows the team to regroup. If you lack that, things can things can escalate quite quickly, and and I think that's what happened in in this match. They're capable of winning winning games, but as as we've seen here, they they might get battered on on the odd occasion too. Last league one game I want to look at: Accrington Stanley one, Wimbledon five. One away win in their last ten was Wimbledon's record until this weekend passed when they hammered struggling Aki. Too much for John Coleman, who presumably spent Friday night watching I Love 1989. It's a bit like uh, losing on bullseye, isn't it? You know, when you're, you're getting a caravan taken away from you. Um, we got ourselves in such a good position, and sometimes it's the hope that kills you. I think there's a song if you haven't seen such riches. I could live with being poor. And that's probably sums up our season. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Stanley, their chairman and all-round good egg, Andy Holt, tweeted this after the game. Said to at AFC Wimbledon staff before the match, if we have to lose a game, I'd rather it be to you. You're doing a great job down there. Top club. No need to batter us, though. Shock face emoji, two crying faces emoji. <laughs> um, good stuff like that. Uh, Sam, you mentioned Wimbledon were unlucky to miss out on, on performance of the week. This result might give them some comfort. Just a bit. Jesus Christ, how have you gone for Oldham over AFC Wimbledon? That's your second yellow of the day. <laughs> All right, Band, you can present the rest of the and show. You're off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, was it the first time they scored five in the EFL? I think I heard. So, um Really unlucky. And Accrington couldn't have the excuse of having all the players missing and all that palaver because they were all back. Um, it was a really strong looking team um, that, that I saw take the field. So, yeah, really good re- result for AFC Wimbledon. It's four from six, isn't it? At the, the, the bottom of that division. It's going to be a brilliant shootout. But I think the confidence, again, in getting other goal scorers, Ollie Palmer being the, the man at the weekend, he sat behind me at plough lane the other day doing commentary for the um i follow so he's not played nearly enough football this year but when he has played he's produced i think that's just his fourth start of the season he's got four goals so him with pigger is i think what the, the the fans have been shouting for and they they both produced and some at the weekend so brilliant result thoroughly deserved and um giving themselves a, a fighting chance in which is going to be a brilliant scrap it's going to be so good it, yeah it's it's it... Ups, so many more twists and turns to come. Um, bang on to to bring up the two two up front. They sort of matched up Accrington, didn't they, in a in a four four two diamond. And another good stat is, is is that Wimbledon. It's the first time they've won by more than one goal all season. So they've been involved in tight game after tight game after tight game, and then and then they go and do that. So yeah, massive lift for them. Um, and for for yeah, a guy like Palmer to come in and, and contribute is great. Ayuba Sal obviously got got a couple couple of goals as well. So so yeah, all of a sudden, fresher look to the team, bit of confidence. They've, they've got themselves a chance. One thing they haven't done all, all season, Kelly, is is win back to back games in the league. They got Ipswich on Tuesday. That's half a chance to to put that right, isn't it? Not in, not in great form themselves. Yeah, I think Ipswich have looked quite solid, but they just can't score goals. So I think this will be a far tougher test for Wimbledon because Ipswich themselves are still battling for those playoffs. Whereas Accrington, I think their season now is, although they're not far off the playoffs, I think their season was kind of petering away into nothing. I think 
it's weird because you were looking at this game, the defensive errors from Accrington were pretty awful. I think it was the third goal that was just them giving the ball away by the corner flag. By that point, they'd already conceded two goals. They were on the back foot, but they were relentless. That was the word that Mark Robinson did use as well to describe Wimbledon. He said they need to do that every single week. It'll be hard to put in a performance like that every single week, but with the formation that you talked about there, the fact that Palmer and Piggott both inform Ayubasal just in behind them, that attack would be hard for any defence to contain. That said, Ipswich have been good defensively. So actually, I think this is one. It's a shame we're not doing the ACA for this game. Well, actually, it's no, it's probably a relief because I couldn't call this one, actually. <laughs> well, it's a nice segue um, because you can get some odds on League One now to help build, the, help build our ACA. Sam and Adrian, your picks both come from League One. What have you gone for, Clarky? I've gone for Blackpool against Accrington Stanley. Over 2.5 goals, please. Blackpool, really, really good going forward, uh, as we know, with uh, with Yates and Elliot Sims really on fire. Accrington having a stinker defensively. We know that seven nil they were they were pumped, weren't they, by Peterborough recently, and and this time five. So yeah, I've looked at the stats. Four of the last five games for Blackpool have gone over. Six of the last eight Accrington games have gone over two point five goals. So hopefully, we'll get one here. Thumbs up for some Jerry Yates goals then, Abby. What are the odds on that? Yeah, for over two and a half goals, it is 11 to 10. And Blackpool, the heavy favourites here, 7 to 10 to beat Accrington, who are 15 to 4. Uh, Sam, your pick comes from League One as well. Yeah, my workings aren't as nearly as sophisticated as Clarkey's. Um, I think I think Lincoln, maybe this could be a turning point for them, um, getting the two goals back against um, Blackpool. So... Uh, they got Johnson back and Morton as well, who, who've been missing. So I think they'll score. And MK haven't scored in two games. And I like watching them. Um, they're a good side and not much pressure. I'd say they're, they're uh, thirst and hope of a playoff finish this season is probably not going to materialise. So they maybe be on the beach, but hopefully someone with flip-flops on will bend one in the corner. <laughs> uh, what are the odds on that happening not the flip-flops part Abby <laughs> can't do anything on flip-flops uh, both teams to score Lincoln MK is 13 to 20 and uh, Lincoln are the favourites at 11 to 8 with MK Dons 9 to 5 what I should say is our treble at the moment is coming in at 8.1 to 1 nice we'll finish it off soon when we get to League 2 that comes next Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. League Two headlines. Forest Green have sacked Mark Cooper after six matches without a win. They sit six in the table. More on that imminently. Cambridge dropped to second after a shock shellacking at home by Exeter. Cheltenham are the new top boys after squeezing past Orient. Southend unleashed the beast. The beast in question being Phil Brown's cravat. And on the 10th of April, Port Vale's match with Morecambe was suspended for 45 minutes because of snow. 
Uh, a word then on the dismissal of Mark Cooper. Harsh is one that springs to mind. Sam, do you think there's more to this than meets the eye? Um, I, I honestly don't know. I've, I'd be lying if I said I'd, I haven't felt it's been a strange marriage between Dale Vincent and Mark Cooper throughout the last few years. Um, I think, listen, I spent a bit of time with Mark Cooper when he was the Swindon manager when I was just out of the game and he was brilliant with me. So I can only take him at, at that really. But, you know, I do understand um, that he's had a few run-ins with people and that he's been a bit prickly with some journalists during his tenure. Whether that's got something to do with it, I don't know. On the pitch, they play brilliant football. There's just been too much of a churn in terms of the squad from season to season to get any real consistency. And obviously the the hunger of the owner to get them up is, is really strong. Uh, he believed they'd probably have done it by now and the results have been desperate recently. So maybe it's one that uh, just inevitably and, and maybe naturally has reached its its end. Um, Kelly, they've gone for, for under-18s coach Jimmy Ball on an interim basis till the end of the season. He's the son of Alan Ball, the, the England World Cup winner. Is it is it odd to give the gig to somebody who hasn't managed a first team before or, or sensible to give it to somebody who knows the club and the players? Depends which way you look at it. And this is probably more one to pose to Clarkey and Sam who have played because you can look at it in two ways. And I kind of, I look at, it's a little bit different, but what Doncaster did with Andy Butler and the way they've fallen away and you wonder if they'd done what Charlton had done when Lee Bowyer left and went in and got some experience and someone that knows how to get them out of the division. That's the only thing that worries me a little bit. But yeah, you flip it on the on its head and say, well, at least he knows the players and with so few games left, how well will he know the players from coaching the under-18s? That's the other thing I'd ask. They probably don't train together, especially with COVID bubbles and the like. So yeah, the more I think about that one, the more I think it's a bold decision because it's a big job to turn around. It's not a big job, but Forest Green, they've just, they've fallen away, haven't they? They've they have really struggled and it's something they've done for quite a while now. So yeah, I'd, I'd question why why you wouldn't bring in someone with a bit more nous. It's, it's a roll of a very strange dice, isn't it? I mean, if, if, yeah. if by taking Mark Cooper out and bringing the, the, the youth team manager in, just by virtue of the change of voice, provokes a, an uplifting form that gets them over the line into the playoffs. They will go into the playoffs with a manager that has zero experience, up against very good managers at this level that have worked, you know, worked on on, on everything all season. I think it puts them at a distinct disadvantage, really, in, in those close games, in playoff matches, often very tactical affairs. I find and and yeah, just to put someone in at the deep end that you know, okay, it might work, but but I would say the odds of it working are, are quite slim, to to be honest. There's a reason why he hasn't been the first team manager up and up until this point. There's a reason why he's been looking after the the under 18s. It's not to say he can't do it, but but for me, it's a it's the longest of long shots. Um, just to to put your faith in in someone, yeah, someone like this for now. Dale Vince tweeting today, we've got over 70 CVs overnight from some great male and female coaches. We'll take our time and take a different direction. We'll be looking for a progressive and more modern approach to the game. 
Uh, let's get to the action on the pitch in League Two then. The big bout at Valley Parade. Bradford beat Grimsby by a goal to nil to maintain their promotion push, but that's not what people were talking about at full time. This after Mariners man Stefan Payne headbutted his own teammate Felipe Morais in front of the ref as the players trundled off at the end of the first half. Um, Clarky, we don't normally see this stuff happen actually on the pitch. I mean, Lee Bowie, Kieran Dyer, Graham Lasseau, and David Batty, and there it ends. This is not a good look when it happens in in full view of the iFollow cameras. No, it it, it doesn't. Uh, it's not a good look. You're right. It it doesn't um, give the impression that that the players are together as one. But look, it's also a massive sign of frustration that you can lose it like that in 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 full glare of everybody. Um, yeah, not not good at all. It was interesting that he also substituted. Uh, Philippe Murray, so so he's un- equally unhappy with the guy that didn't get sent off as well. So yeah, look, they, they're just going to have to regroup, aren't they, uh, this week on the training ground and, and and be together. Wouldn't surprise me if these two though are ostracised and and that's that's them done because you you can't you've got to have players you can trust, especially at the moment with with every point counting for Grimsby. The manager can't be worried about one of his players letting the, letting the side down. So. So yeah, I, th- I think that well, one suspended, the other one I would imagine w- will be dropped. Um, I, I was headbutted um, by a teammate in what? training. Um, <laughs> right? But, okay. Yeah. What did um, you do? My old man and well, Adrian Clark. Yeah, I, I could be quite a bad winner sometimes, and I think <laughs> we were playing a five-a-side, and I was being really chirpy. I, I was sort of gloating about, um, you know, I was yeah, I was bouncing chucking a few nutmegs in here and there and just one of the lads just really took I obviously totally got on his nerves and he he came for me but it was something that had been brewing we we hadn't been getting on particularly well and he, he yeah he just came for me and and headbutted me in training and I was in such a shock that that it had happened I didn't even take a swing back like I was just like what what just happened? Um, so yeah, and then nothing really did did happen after it. Um, but yeah, so kind of a little bit of experience of it. Sam, you ever been the the John Hartson to Clarkie's Isle Berkovich? Oh no, no, not me. No, no, no. Just stand from a distance and laugh when it happened in <laughs> in training. Um, I remember a good one at Walsall actually. Surprise, surprise! I was doing some rehabilitation behind one of the goals with. John Whitney, who became the Walsall manager, and Jamie Vincent, who I'm sure Clarkie will remember and probably played against, tough tackling left back, yeah. and Manny Smith, who was a tough tackling centre half, just went at it. They were getting battered in the five a side game. And normally players run in and there's a big huddle and it gets stopped. They had a three minute round. <laughs> it was <laughs> unbelievable. And Jamie was staying on my sofa quite often we were traveling up and down from London and he was absolutely devastated because Chris Hutchins done him two weeks wages it was genius it's all I heard we were like walking around the ball ring in Birmingham for the next fortnight and he was absolutely beside himself so I don't know what the outcome was but that was a that was a real heavyweight bout Kelly we hear this kind of thing goes on in, in dressing rooms up and down the land all the time is it the same in the, in the broadcasting game you ever stuck the knot on Garth Crooks before a football focus <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, no, and I, I wouldn't dare do it to Garth Crooks or any. I'm a bit like I'm the Clarky of the broadcasting world, well, Clarky's <laughs> in the broadcasting world now. I, I'd like to think I'm quite mild mannered. I'm not particularly bold. When years ago, when I played on the netball court, I would I would give it, 
because I knew that no one was going to come and punch me because it's not that kind of sport. But no, no, no. Any sign of a fight and I'm off. Um, not much fight about Cambridge this weekend, he said, segueing. Um, they lost 4-1 at home to Exeter. Cambridge knocked off top spot. As a result of this, Randall Williams back on the team sheet for the first time since Boxing Day. Sam, you alluded to it in your performance of the week. He, he's been uh, he's been a big absentee for them. Yeah, and um, Mark Bonner was really complimentary about Exeter, actually, which was quite unusual after the game, picking out him, um, picking out the front two of Bowman and and Matt Jay for for praise. But I think having you know spoken to Matt Taylor on this podcast, he alluded to the fact that he wanted real pace and energy in his side this season, and. Unfortunately, it was kind of taken away from him having, you know, missed Randall Williams for so much of the season. So I think just his his presence more than anything at the weekend occupied Cambridge. And I thought the interesting thing was, you know, reading all the reports and all the reaction was Exeter have faulted in those games when they've been bashed up, really. Uh, the, the game at Cheltenham springs to mind when they just went under. And in this game, when a team tries to out-football them, they don't come a copper because they've got some brilliant footballers themselves, Exeter City, and this was them at their absolute best. And uh, Matt Taylor, I think he does this quite a lot as well, changing the shape in the second half just to see games out. And he did that to really good effect again. But yeah, I ruled them out a little bit last week. I think we all did. So um, yeah, I think probably another playoff came, campaign could be in the offing for the Grecians, certainly. Yeah, didn't see this one coming at all. Um, I think that, that Matt Taylor... Not deserves credit because he kind of went with the formation that, that he's always been going with. It was a good match up then. Let's just say that because Cambridge Cambridge went with the four four two diamond and and it can really work. We've seen that with with Luton down the years and other teams when when you nail it. But but as a winger, I used to be a winger. I used to quite like playing against the diamond. You had that little bit more space because the opposition were very narrow, and and if you switch play really quickly to the wide players on this occasion, Randall Williams and Sparks on the other side, you can have a lot of time to run at your man 1v1. And, and if you cast your mind back to the Sparks goal from sort of 30 yards, he just had acres uh, to run into. And that, I think, is a part, partly a byproduct of, of the way the team's shaped up. But yeah, um, yeah, great win. Um, but I don't, I don't think it would derail Cambridge, who, by the way, that's their first defeat on a Saturday since December the 19th. They've only ever lost in midweek since then. Clarky, so, I had um, that stat. Yeah. I knew you'd outstat me always, every week. <laughs> uh, have you got any other stats you'd like to throw in about it, Kelly? No, it was the only one I had. I, say, I thought Cambridge played. I thought Cambridge played quite well in this game, actually. But I actually thought it was the timing of Exeter's goals that really killed them. I thought that when, when they pulled one back, they were kind of in the ascendancy and then when it got to 3-1, it just kind of it killed them really. But I, I agree that I don't think this will derail them. I think it was just one one game, one blip um, and all credit to Exeter. Won the boat race on a Saturday, didn't they, Clarkie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not all bad. <laughs> Real quiz. Yeah, yeah. Um, Abby, you have boat, said Boat race look- was actually on a Sunday. <laughs> Won the boat race on a Sunday, though, didn't they, Clarky? Good <laughs> save. Um, right, odds for League Two. Let's complete this ACA, uh, Abby. I have chosen Salford against Bolton, both teams to score, on the basis that I think that both teams will score in the game between Salford and Bolton. What are the odds on that? 
Yeah, it's 10 to 11 for both teams to score in this game. Salford at 8 to 5 to win, Bolton 17 to 10, and the draw coming in at 21 to 10. Now, what does this mean for our ACA? I can tell you that altogether we are at 16.36 to 1 this week. Wow. Okay. Uh, you can find out these odds and more on the Paddy Power app or paddypower.com. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Be gamble aware. And when the fun stops, stop. That'll just about do it for this week. But in homage to Phil Brown's clubber and my Alice band, let's build the ideal managerial outfit for the touchline slash catwalks of the EFL. I'll kick us off. I'm going for Brian Clough's green jumper. Uh, Sam, you're putting a coat over that. Is is that going to be a colour clash? Mate, that's going to go beautifully. It's going to be rascal. It's like stag do (laughs) here. Um, Laurie Sanchez, Wickham Wanderers FA Cup run, which I was involved in, he wore this cream floor-length jacket. It was a bit like Minder-esque. And um, around the same time, my mum had one that was similar. So whenever I was visiting, my brother or, uh, and my sister were there or whatever, going out for a walk, we'd always go, get the Laurie Sanchez on, mum. Like that, she knew exactly <laughs> what we were on about. And off we'd go. And it's synonymous with that game against Leicester when Roy Essendo scored because he'd been sent off. And he's it's um, it's soaked as well when he's celebrating in the tunnel with Alan Parry, I think might have been present as well. But anyway, it was a rascal. Happy days. And actually, Clark, it might work quite well with, with your choice of trousers. Absolutely, yeah. You, you've got to go, if you're going to wear that sort of cream trench coat look with a green <laughs> jumper underneath, you, you have to go, surely, with the Carlos Corbran spray-ons, don't you? The, 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 the grey slash beige chino look, I think, would be perfect. I was through the course of this, because I just wanted to remind myself of, of what those spray-ons look like. So, so I Googled it. And it popped up on, on Huddersfield Live's website. This was at the time when they were winning games. They had a they had a Cream Chino's newsletter going on. We'll bring you all the best and latest trouser news and analysis to your inbox. Latest features, nostalgia opinions. We bring you the best coverage of Carlos Corbrand's legs. What exactly is the difference between cream and, cream and beige? How do we feel about white jeans? And are New Balance trainers an integral part of the look? How do I sign up? <laughs> Quite they, they say local papers are struggling for content these days. Not a bit of it over in that part of Yorkshire. Right, so Kelly, we've got Brian Clough's jumper covered in Laurie Sanchez's coat with Carlos Corberon's trousers. How are you going to top this off? Let's accessorise. I was going to be biased and say Cisco Munoz's always incredibly white trainers, but it's a bit boring. Should, do we not think we should just have a Tony Pulis cap on the top yeah. just to kind of cap Good it all shout. off? I just feel like that'll just make it a bit more, this is a serious manager. We've got to take him serious because he's wearing Tony Pulis's hat regardless <laughs> of everything else. Go Pulis hat and Pulis trainers because they're definitely um, bought during one journey to JJB, oh, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> and, the, and who doesn't like a cap with a cravat? Yeah, cap and cravat would be a strong look. I mean, all together, you know, I think I think that's a lovely image. It's certainly um, certainly bamboozle the opposition team, that's for sure. Right, many thanks to Kelly, Sam, Adrian and producer Abby for their excellence today. George and Ali are here with Extra Time on Thursday. We'll be back same time next week for now, though. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. 
or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.